service, I'm blowing that whistle. Come on. Come on. What's the worst that could happen? Come on. <laughs> What's that? I want to blow the whistle. I got a conductor hat at home. I can wear my conductor hat. That'd be fun. Man, you're no fun sometimes. I want to blow the whistle. I'm going to get me my own whistle. How about that? I have two whistles, like two pianos. <laughs> we are so blessed, as y'all know, to have such an amazing music program here with Tim and the choir and Frank and Al. And we are, we are just blessed. And we are, we, are, we are so blessed with music in this church. We're just, I, pre- we, uh, I know we all appreciate all the hard work they put into it. Our next reading of Scripture is going to come from Isaiah. As Lori mentioned this morning, Isaiah 65. We're going to be reading verses 17 through 25 of Isaiah. The prophet writes this. For I'm about to create a new heaven and a new earth. The former things shall not be remembered or come to mind. Be, but be glad and rejoice in what I am creating. For I am about to create Jerusalem as a joy and its people as a delight. I will rejoice in Jerusalem and delight in my people. And no more shall the sound of weeping be heard in it or the cry of distress. No more shall there be an infant who lives but a few days or an old person who does not live out a lifetime. For the one who dies at a hundred will be considered a youth. The one who falls short of a hundred will be considered accursed. They shall build houses and inhabit them. They shall plant vineyards and eat their fruit. They shall not build and another inhabit. They shall not plant and another eat. For the days of, their, of a tree shall be like the days of my people. My chosen shall long enjoy the work of their hands. They shall not labor in vain, nor bear children for calamity. They shall be offspring blessed by the Lord. And their descendants as well. Before I call, before they call, I will answer. While they are yet speaking, I will hear. The wolf and the lamb shall feed together. The lion shall eat straw like ox. But the serpent, its food shall be dust. They shall not hurt or destroy on, my, on all my holy mountain, says the Lord. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. I don't know how many of you um, had the chance to, 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 I know we all have, you know, here in Mississippi, we go to the coast for whatever. We go to the coast a lot, vacations and shopping and just getting away. The coast is a pretty common trip for many of us. And I don't know how many of you remember the coast pre-Katrina versus post-Katrina. Like, I don't, I don't, I don't know if you, you know, because our minds kind of get used to what we see. Like, I'll never forget when I was in Pedal. Um, uh, they had a couple of tornadoes come through Hattiesburg. I don't know if you all remember. And one of the, one of the tornadoes um, came down through Southern Miss. And Southern Miss used to have these beautiful trees in front of the university. And one of the, the, the tornadoes knocked all the trees down. And so... I always in my mind going to Hattiesburg pictured the trees and now the trees have been taken down and it's beautiful. And like, I can't quite remember what it looked like the trees were there. Like my mind so used to seeing it with no trees that I can't quite remember what the trees looked like. I think, I think that's kind of how the coast is with Katrina Um, because Katrina did such damage and and affected the landscape so greatly that in in many ways, it's kind of hard for us to remember what it looked like pre-Katrina. At at least it is for me. I remember, remember seeing the devastation, um, 
on the coast before, I mean, after Katrina, I remember going down on some mission trips. I know many of you did as well. And I remember the, th- the image that always sticks with me is First Baptist Gulfport, right there on the highway. And I used to say it looked like God took his arm and just kind of wiped away the entire first floor of the church. And you still had the speakers hanging in the ceiling and the balcony was still there, but the first floor was completely gone. And thinking about trees, I remember all those trees that used to dot Highway 90 and how, the, how Katrina wiped out a lot of those trees and destroyed them and left them as stumps. One of the more interesting things I think that happened after Katrina, though, was some artists came and they, uh, they made wood carvings out of the stumps of the trees that Katrina took. So now if you're going down Highway 90 there on the coast as you're passing by what used to be the stumps, of these trees that Katrina destroyed, there's all these beautiful and intricate wood carvings uh, that were made from the stumps of what the storm took. I think there's something genius and beautiful about the ability to restore, about the ability to recreate out of destruction and damage. I just I love when I go to the coast to see family, to, to pass along 90, and, and to see the genius of somebody who could take these stumps that were destroyed by the storm, something that was heartbreaking, something that was devastating, something that caused tears after the storm, to see, to see what was taken and destroyed, and to see the ability to imagine what it could be, and to restore, and to recre- recreate, and to make something beautiful out of something that was destroyed. It's a great gift. I'm not a woodworker. Uh, I'm not trusted with sharp objects by my wife, which is obviously very smart. Um, she trusts me with sharp objects like Tim won't trust me with the horn. I mean, the, the whistle, I mean. It's a horn. It's like a horn, right? Makes racket. So I'm so envious of those of you that are woodworkers. The ability to take stuff and make something beautiful out of it. To take these things that are cast away and thrown away and to create something beautiful is, to me, just quite an amazing talent. There's something about restoration. There's something about restoring. There's something about making something beautiful out of something that was destroyed. I love, I love the two passages that we read today. Because I think when you hold these two passages together, you see an example of God's power. Because let's, let's start first with our Genesis passage. I think one of the things we get tripped up with sometimes in life is we get so focused on that. Well, we don't think about the distinction between sins and sinful. Our sins are easy to think about. Our sins are the stuff we do wrong. You know, the, the, the things we do that are wrong. We, 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 we know in life some stuff that's wrong. We, we commit actions that are wrong. Those are sins. You know, Things that murder, stealing, lying, whatever. Like that's sin. We shouldn't do that. That's an action that is wrong. But for us, there's also this sinful notion. We see, we see in, 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 in the text this morning, this, the, the, the fact that when Adam and Eve fell, their actions echo throughout eternity. 
And we see that the actions in the the sinful mistake of Adam and Eve had drastic effects upon us as individuals, upon all of creation. We see that it isn't just sins that matter, but we as humans are sinful. We have this innate desire sometimes that was passed down to us from our first parents, Adam and Eve, that we just want to do wrong. You know, we just... We just do wrong sometimes. We don't even know why. Why did I? How many times have you done something and thought, why did I do that? Or how many of us in our life had that constant dialogue between the angel on one shoulder and the demon on the other saying, hey, they're not going to see it. Tim's not going to see you steal his whistle. He's not going to see it. And the angel says, but you're going to get in trouble. And the demon says, but it's okay. It'll be funny. And you know, that's just, we have that ongoing conversation in our mind, don't we? We all do. That, that, that's it's okay. We're human. That is part of our human condition. We are. Every human has that internal dialogue sometimes. Every human faces temptation. Every human chooses wrong. It's okay. Sometimes in life, we have to put down our false pretenses and our false image of perfection and just admit we blew it sometimes. We face temptation. We fall. It doesn't make you the scum of the earth to say that. It means you're human. It means you're human. And God loves you enough to send his son to begin the restoration process of what sin is corrupted. So we see, we see in Genesis the effect of sin. We, notice it has specific consequences in this text today. It talks about how Women, this will happen, pain and childbirth, things such as this. Men, you will, you will labor with the sweat of your brow. You, you, you see that, you see that um, uh, the, the, the serpent is cursed. And so it, but it doesn't talk about, Romans 8 does a good job of kind of filling in some gaps here uh, of explaining other things. That when Adam and Eve fail, Romans 8 tells us that all of creation fell with them so that, so that the entire world suffers under the consequence of sin. Romans 8 says that creation was subjected to futility, not by its own will, by the will of the one who subjected it. In other words, that when Adam and Eve fell, it took all the creation with it. So to put it plainly, Katrina wasn't God's will. It wasn't like God was like trying to, when I was in North Mississippi, I had folks say, well, you know, Katrina was just God's judgment against the wickedness of New Orleans. That was God judging New Orleans. That's what I heard a lot of folks say. And my response was, huh, that's weird. So God punished New Orleans by killing all the poor people? That doesn't seem like something God would do. That doesn't seem to reflect, reflect scripture. That the only, so if God's judging New Orleans, then how come the only part of New Orleans that wasn't flooded was the French Quarter? I mean, that just doesn't seem like something the scripture says God would do. So in other words, stuff like Katrina wasn't in God's grand design. Stuff like that tornado that took out all the trees on Hattiesburg wasn't in God's grand design. But we live in a world that is imperfect and broken. We see Genesis 3 laid this out. We see consequences for men and women and even for creation. We see that Adam and Eve's sin affected everything. Everything. It still affects me and affects you. It's not God's divine will for there to be hungry children in Madison County. It just didn't. 
It's not in God's design will for there to be suffering and hurt. Cancer was not in God's divine will. But sin entered in. And sin corrupted. And sin destroyed. And sin broke. And sin affected all of creation. Sin affected me. It affects you. It affects everyone. Sin is corrosive. And it warps and it destroys. And I don't just mean those actions that are sinful. But I mean that nature that we struggle against. As Paul says in Romans 7, the very things I should not do are the very things I do. And the very things that I should do are the very things I don't do. Paul has his battle waging within himself. I think that we all do. And even if we refrain from the sinful action, we still struggle with the temptation. It gets tiring, doesn't it, sometimes to fight like that. So we see Genesis 3 paint this picture of what sin has wrought, what Adam and Eve's sin has wrought upon humans and even upon creation. We see that. But that's why the Isaiah passage is so important. Because in Isaiah, the, the, the prophet says, he says, behold, I'm creating a new heaven and a new earth. Hit forward, fast, fast forward, go to Revelation. God says the same thing in Revelation. And it says, I'm creating this new heaven and this new earth. And what do we see in this new heaven and new earth? We see, we see, uh, it says that uh, they shall not labor in vain. They shall not bear children for calamity. They shall enjoy the work of their hands. Remember how specifically in Genesis 3, when the consequence of the fall was that you're going to labor in vain. You're going to work hard. It's going to be awful. What do we see that God's going to do? He's going to restore that in eternity. And they will not labor in vain. They will not bear children in calamity. That God is going to restore. God's going to restore what sin has taken. God's going to restore for humanity. For men, for women, for all of creation, even for creation. Notice what it says in the end. It says that the wolf and the lamb shall feed together. The lion shall eat straw like an ox. The wolf, the, so see, the effect of sin even affected creation. Because now in today's world... The wolf and the lamb hang out together. Somebody's getting lamb shish kebabs. The wolf's going to eat the lamb. I watch the Discovery Channel. I got Disney Plus. I know what happens. Somebody's getting eaten. But in eternity, when things are restored, they will feed together. Now notice, notice the one entity who doesn't have the effects reversed. But the serpent, its food shall be dust. They shall not hurt or destroy on my holy mountain. One day, sin, the devil, evil will be destroyed. God will restore what sin has taken. God will restore that there will one day come a time when there'll be no more cancer and there'll be no more sickness and there'll be no more internal struggles and there'll be no more addiction and there'll be no more anger. anger. There'll be no more broken families. There'll be no more pain. God will restore all of these things. He will restore for humans. He'll even restore for all of creation where the lion and the lamb will lay together and feed on ox, feed on straw like an ox. God will restore. God will undo what Genesis 3 wrought. God will restore one day. All of this will be made right. God is in the restoration business.
God's in the restoration business. Just like those artists restored those trees, God's in the restoration business. In fact, we see it in the greatest commandment. What did Jesus say the greatest commandment was? To love the Lord our God with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength. To love our neighbor as we love ourselves. God wants to restore even these relationships. To restore our walk with him. God's desire for you is for you to walk in peace with him. What clouds these walks? The walk with God, the walk with your neighbor, the walk with yourself? Well, sin does. The brokenness, the temptation, the fear, the guilt. Sometimes, sometimes the greatest impediment to our walk with God and with others is guilt. Like not even our actions. I, 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 I had a friend of mine that um, we had crosswords. Not even really crosswords. We just kind of, we just stopped talking. We just, we just talk, used to talk all the time. And then we stopped talking. And then we had talked in about three years. And then um, I thought, why, why did he talk to me? Did he not like me? You know, we used to be friends. He never talks to me. Why don't we talk anymore? What, 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 you know, why is he mad at me? Well, he was thinking the same thing. Why didn't he talk to me? You know, neither one of us had literally done anything to the other person. Well, we weren't really mad at each other, but I thought he was mad at me. And he thought I was mad at him. Well, then I felt bad. So then I felt guilty for not reaching out to him. So then for another two years, I didn't reach out to him. So we literally went five years without talking for no good reason. And what was the driving thing that kept us from talking? Anger and guilt for no, good, for no good reason. I was not mad at him. He was not mad at me. We had this anger and guilt mixed in there, and we both were prideful. And they want to reach out to the other one. So finally we reached out, and we're like, why didn't we hang out? This was so dumb. You know, it's almost like we invented a conflict. But that anger... That guilt, that shame, these things break so many relationships. Right now in your life, who is it that you're not talking to that you want to? But if we're going to be honest, we're just too proud to do it. They should apologize. They started it. We want the relationship restored. We love to be in, I mean, how many, how many of you right now are dreading, let's see, Thanksgiving's about 10 days. How many of you are dreading being across the table from somebody in about 10 days? Well, they should apologize. They started it. Maybe, maybe. But just like God restores things, so can God through us restore things. God wants to restore our walk with him. He wants to restore our walk with each other. He wants to restore our our walk with ourselves. Because sometimes in our life, the person we beat up the most is ourselves. We don't feel like we're doing enough. I mean, like right now, how many of you probably don't feel like you're doing enough for God? Don't raise your hand. But in in the back of our minds, we all feel like we're not doing enough. Oh, I need to do one more thing. Oh, I need to do this. I need to do that. We never feel like we measure up. When the reality is God wants to restore you. God wants to be in relationship with you. God loves you. You have nothing to earn, nothing to prove, nothing to do, but receive God's love for you. And then when you receive that love for you, that love becomes a motivation to faithful action. 
God's not mad at you. God's not disappointed in you. God doesn't even hold it against you. He just wants to walk with you. He wants to restore what sin has taken. He wants to restore me and you and all of creation to where we don't labor in vain. We don't suffer calamity. Where there is no more sickness, pain, and death. Where all of creation is restored. He wants to undo the curse of the fall and restore it. Every time I pass by those trees on the coast, I think about God's restorative power. Now, there's nothing God can't restore. There's nothing so ugly God can't make it beautiful. There's no life too broken God can't speak grace to. There's no relationship so painful that God can't heal. There's no internal conflict too great for God's grace to not fix. There's nothing God can't restore. Isaiah 65, Genesis 3, show us that God is in the restoration business. Today, what within you does God long to restore? What relationship in your life does God long to restore? What relationship between God and yourself does he long to restore? Today, God is in the restoration business. May we let him restore our souls. Let us pray. Gracious God, thank you for loving us. Thank you for saving us. Thank you for giving us your grace. God, help us to, to, to lean into the power of your restoration and the power of your hope and the power of your grace. We love you so much. We ask it in Jesus' sweet and holy name. Amen.